Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Welcome back to the Theater Podcast, intimate personal conversations with the industry's biggest names. This episode is with Liz Calloway, who has had multiple decades of credits and is an amazing, amazing performer. You may know her as her critically acclaimed Grizabella from Cats back in the 80s. She received a Tony nomination for her performance in Baby. She made her debut in Sondheim's Merrily We Roll Along in 1981. She's just done so much. She's actually got a YouTube channel now that she's been diving into in the quarantine and the pandemic. She's posting so much original content, and there are just some amazing gems in there. But this conversation we had, we talked about everything. I had such a well-rounded conversation with her, and not just about theater, but just the arts in general, and why psychologically we love to watch the arts, why we love to sing, and just how we interact with each other. She's just an amazing person to chat with. Before we get into the episode, find me, as always, on Instagram and Twitter, theater underscore podcast, on facebook.com slash official theater podcast. Hit that like button, hit that subscribe button, however you're listening, leave a rating, leave a review. Everybody, please now enjoy this episode with Liz Calloway. Today's guest is a Tony nominee and Emmy Award-winning actress, singer, and recording artist. One of my favorite credits of hers is that she is the singing voice of Anastasia in the 1997 animated film. She made her Broadway debut in Stephen Sondheim's Merrily We Roll Along in 1981, received a Tony Award nomination for her performance in Baby, and for five years won so much acclaim as Grizabella in Cats. She has also starred in the original casts of Miss Saigon, The Three Musketeers, and The Look of Love, and is now part of a phenomenal lineup of people performing in the Town Hall's signature series, Broadway by the Year, as part of the May 24th concert about the Andrew Lloyd Webber years. Liz Calloway, welcome to the Theater Podcast. Thank you. It is so nice to be uh, on your show. Thanks for uh, inviting me. You're very welcome. I, I want to ask, first of all, though, that this, this Broadway by the Year thing, it's all about Andrew Lloyd Webber years, but uh, you made your Broadway debut in a Sondheim show. So, like, is there, you know, Sondheim and Webber, are, are, are they always trying to get you into their different productions and butting heads over that? Uh, well, just the fact that I only do uh, music of people who have the same birthday. Uh, (laughs) they do uh no you know they're so different but I've been really lucky to get to do you know both their shows I hope they do a Broadway by the year Sondheim Mm -hmm. concert now that would be I think an excellent idea and and they could sign me up uh, for that today but I'm happy to be doing um uh this particular uh concert. I've done many Broadway by the years in person. And of course, I have a history of doing Andrew Lloyd Webber uh, musicals, but I'm not necessarily singing what people would expect in that concert. Well, what are you, are you able to tell us what you're singing or is, is that a secret that we have to find out? You know, I don't, I don't, I won't go into specifics, but I can tell you what show I'm singing from. Um, I'm going to do a few songs from Song and Dance. Okay. And I'm not singing memory. I was actually asked to sing memory for the program. And of course, I love 
memory. I love singing it, but I've discovered in this pandemic that singing a memory in a song like that in my living room is just is not something that gives me joy, you know? <laughs> I can Give me a stay yeah. in a stage <laughs> in uh, on stage uh, with a microphone in the show. That's a whole other thing. Then I I love it. In concert normally I love to sing memory. Not so much in in my living room just to my cat. Uh, <laughs> it's just it's not the same. So I said, "Can I please do uh can I please do some other songs? So I, I'm very happy to be singing what I'm singing in the show. Memory, memory's more a go big or go home sort of number, and you're already home, so you yeah. can't go. Yeah, yeah, no, that's something I've I've learned. You know, I've done so many uh, so many live streams and and videos that I've shot in my house, and sometimes on my back porch. Um, it's easier to do um, a quieter song than it is the, the real big, you know, journey to the past from Anastasia. I've sung that in my living room. And again, it feels a little, we- it feels a little weird when you get super big and you're singing at home. So uh, I, I kind of like the uh, uh, more introspective songs. Yeah. Yeah. That totally makes sense. I, I've talked to a lot of people, you know, of course, since Broadway shut down before and after I've actually, now that I think about it, I've had as much time interviewing for the podcast in the pandemic as I have had pre-pandemic, pretty much it's 50-50 now. And, and what I'm hearing is, is the amount of fatigue, the emotional fatigue of A, not having a, a, a um, I was going to say career, but that's not true. Not having an industry, right? Mm. The fatigue and the worry and the anxiety that comes with saying, when am I going to get my, my industry back? But also just the overall ask of what you just said of when people get known for one thing or they, they get popular for one thing, that's what they're continued to, to ask. They are continually asked to talk about that over and over again. And like there's so much more, even just researching for this and, and knowing, um, knowing you from other interviews and whatnot, like there's more to you than just like the voice of Anastasia and, and the five years in Cats and blah, blah, blah. You know, you've got eight albums that you've released. You're a recording artist. You've done all this solo work. And you also have a very talented sister. And I believe you, you're doing something you just announced yesterday as we're recording this, that you're doing a concert with uh, Anne, right? That's her yes, name? Yes, yeah, we're doing... <laughs> yeah, I think that's her name. Anne, <laughs> Anne, what's her name? Anne Hampton Calloway. You know, I just visited her a little over a week ago. Uh, she lives in Tucson now. And she used to live five minutes from me. Um, I live about an hour north of New York City. And we hadn't seen each other in 14 months and we're super close and we've talked on the phone almost every day, but it's not the same thing. We, so we just spent three days together and we sat down at her piano and we sang a song. We actually sang, um, come in from the rain, the Melissa Manchester, Carol Bayer Sager song. We filmed a video of it and we put it up on social media and everyone just went crazy because it's a song that has new meaning now after being apart. And so we put this video up and was like, Oh my God, it was so amazing to sing together. Um, Anne has been doing a live stream concert once a month from her house. She's a wonderful pianist too, called the Callaway hideaway. And so we've decided that for her May edition, uh, we're going to do a sister show. So I'm going to fly back to Tucson 
and we're calling it side by side, the, the Callaway sisters side by side, because I'll be sitting side by side next to her on her piano bench. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that I, I've, I've done live stream concerts, um, which have been, you know, wonderful, but to actually be singing with another person and singing with my sister again is just going to blow my mind. It's going to be just a thrill. So I'm, I'm really excited. Um, and I think a lot of people are really happy that they're going to get to hear us <laughs> together. It's been so long. Is there, is there a website that like, um, that we're, we can get tickets or watch, or is this going to be on social yeah, media? It's going to be, a, it's actually going to be a live zoom concert. And if you go to any of my social media, uh, if you go, you know, like at Instagram, I'm at, at Liz goes on and Twitter as well. And in my bio, I have a link, um, I have a link and I can send it to you as well. Um, if you do show notes, mm-hmm. uh, about how to get tickets, but, um, yeah. And if people can't, it's at, uh, Sunday, May 23rd at seven o'clock Eastern standard time. And, and if you can't watch, um, we'll send you a link the next day for, that'll be good for a week. Oh, awesome. Yeah. yeah. That's so much fun. I'm, I absolutely love the, the ingenuity that everyone has, has, poured into this last uh, over a year now, however many months it's been. And you hear people talking about this, uh, the renaissance that everyone's expecting, right? Because after, after a darkness, after a shutdown comes the, the, or during all of that comes the ingenuity and all of the creativity that's just exploding, waiting to come out. So once we're able to get back on stage, once Broadway returns, once it's safe to be near each other, the, the amount of stuff exactly like what you're doing, I think is, you know, again, go big or go home. You and your sister are probably <laughs> going to find that you're like, oh yeah, we need to do this at Joe's Pub or 54 Below. Oh or yeah, well, we are going to be at 54 Below. If Feinstein's 54 Below, we were supposed to be do our, our show Broadway, the Callaway, Callaway. And of course, <laughs> like so many of our concerts together and individually, you know, everything has been canceled. And that is, um, that is going to be, that's rescheduled for January now. That's the next live date we have together. Um, tomorrow, actually, it's going to be my first time singing in front of people a live experience um, as we're taping this, and it's singing the national anthem for the Mets. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, um, I'm also, you know, when the pandemic hit, the last live performance I did was at the York Theater. And it was a, a Sheldon Harnick tribute. And it was Sheldon and myself and Karen Ziemba and the late, great Rebecca Luker. Mm-hmm. And two days after that, I was uh, flying to San Francisco to do a show at the Feinstein's at the Nico. And halfway through my flight, I never get Wi-Fi on planes, but I thought, oh, I'm going to get Wi-Fi. I had emailed that it was canceled because it was shut down. Yeah. So I landed, <laughs> landed at the San Francisco airport. I thought, oh, okay, what do I do now? And then I turned around and took the red eye back. <laughs> so you didn't even leave the airport? No, I never left the airport. But, and we're announcing this later this week, uh, Feinstein's uh, at the Nico in San Francisco's reopening. Nice. And I will be there in July. And they asked me, they said, so do you want to do the same show? It was going to, I have a tribute to my female heroes called A Hymn to Her. And I said, you know, 
I don't, I feel like I, I feel like there's going to be so much I'm going to want to say and sing. And my husband has suggested I call my show in San Francisco. Now, where was I? (laughs) 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 Since I was just about to perform there. And this will, that I think is probably going to be my first like concert situation, real live performance again. You know, it'll be like 15, 16 months later, which is, oh, even longer. Crazy. Crazy, crazy. I'm going to just bawl. I know I'm just going to cry. I hope I don't cry while I'm singing the anthem tomorrow. But I know when I'm singing for, you know, an audience, it's just going to be oh, very overwhelming. That that first, I've said this so many times now, that first downbeat, like the energy of the first full house, the downbeat when the orchestra just hits, you know, when the lights go down that first time when Broadway reopens, I... I I, I want to cry thinking about it. I cannot wait for this moment. I mean, selfishly for myself to be back there, to be in the atmosphere, but also just for everybody in this in this industry who has just been affected so intensely. And, you know, we hear about Broadway being shut down. Like, oh, Broadway performers don't have their jobs. And that's horrible and terrible. It goes so far beyond that, though, because there's the crew, there's the orchestra, there's your house managers, there's... Oh, yes. Restaurants, all the, of the tourism. Everyone, the dry cleaners, every, I mean, everyone. Yeah. And, you know, so much of New York, the tourism, and it's just theater is so important and Broadway and off Broadway is so important on so many levels and we need all of, we need everything to come back. And then of course the huge void for the audience too. Mm-hmm. Every, I mean, there's been an amazing amount of um, entertainment has, has been made and created from everyone's homes, uh, which is pretty special, but it can't, there's nothing like a live performance. Absolutely. It, there's nothing like it for the audience or for we perform, you know, performers as well. I believe you've been doing you've been doing cabaret shows since high school. I want to say is that correct, or was it? When did you? That start? is a lie. That is a <laughs> lie. <laughs> no, I started doing. I didn't start performing until high school. Um, I did a a couple of times. I moved to New York when I was eighteen with with my sister. Um, I had only gone to college for a quarter. That's a long story. But, um, and I did what we called a club act, uh, a handful of times, uh, the duplex, which is is still there. And, um, but I didn't start doing cabaret until my sister and I did sibling revelry together. And I didn't do solo cabaret work again until much later. Uh, I was so busy doing shows it didn't really occur to me to do something like that again. And I also found that very challenging. Um, it was challenging for me to, to go from playing a role and being on a theater in a theater and having it black, the safety of not seeing the audience to suddenly the audience being right there. And, you know, you you felt so exposed and now after doing it for a long time, now I actually love that part of it. I really love, I want to see the faces. Whereas before I was like, I don't want to look at anyone. I don't want to say, I don't want to talk. I'll just shut up and sing. And now I love, that's, that's part of it. The interaction with the audience um, is, is what I, I find so intriguing about doing cabaret. Even though I don't love the term 
cabaret for some reason. I don't know why. I, I agree with you. I, I feel like a cabaret act there. I've seen so many bad ones. <laughs> <laughs> the good ones get lumped in and you're like, oh, someone's doing another cabaret. Okay. I guess I'll go and support my friend and pay the two drink minimum. Right. Yeah. See, I think of what I, I consider what I do a concert and I talk a lot and I tell stories and I'm mean, I'm a storyteller, uh, with with my music, I hope I try. I, I aim to be, and uh, and I like to have a really interesting relationship with my audience. And um, but I, for some reason, if I think of it as cabaret, I don't know. I that's just not how I think of myself. Even though technically that is what I am doing. Yes, and done well. Cabaret is an incredible art form. You know, it really, when done well, I, I think it's as good as any uh, kind of live performance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so take me back then. Obviously, performing seems to run in the family. You and your sister both came to New York at the same time. But as you were a child, you grew up in Chicago. So you were in, you were in uh, one, one big city, moved to another big city. And... Where, at what point in your childhood did you start to realize that singing was for you, performing was for you, or did it, did you just sort of haphazardly fall into it, or was it always sort of a conscious choice? My, my mom was a, a singer and a voice teacher and a pianist, and Anne, of course, sang, and I was the shy one. So I didn't sing in front of anyone at home. Um, I'd only sing if people left the house, hmm. but I love to sing. I set my first cast album was the original cast album of hair <laughs> and I would, you know, and, and I knew I had a voice. I have a m- memory of, uh, I think maybe I was eight, eight years old thinking, well, if everything else fails in my life, I could fall back on a singing career, which is so <laughs> but I knew as a little girl I knew I could sing but I never wanted to sing in front of anyone I didn't do anything I didn't do any chorus I didn't do anything until I was in high school and if if my family you know if there was a party at our house and my mom people would be like oh Liz sing something the only way I'd sing is if everyone turned around and didn't look at me and even then I just didn't like that I was just so shy um, and I want I think I wanted to do something different than what my mom and my sister did. I just mm-hmm. wanted to, I, I, I don't know, do something in like sports journalism or art or I don't know, animal behavior, just something that wasn't what they did. And then in high school, I, I started doing, uh, dabbling a little bit in theater and I was in the chorus of a, of a, of a show and, it was my sophomore year and my parents got divorced in the middle of my sophomore year. And I was, I was definitely a late bloomer and kind of a loner. I didn't have a lot of friends growing up. And, um, and then the most popular girl in like in the theater department came up to me and she was in this show and she said, so I heard about your parents, um, splitting up. I'm so sorry. Uh, do you want to come and hang out with me and my friends this weekend? Wow. And I was like, uh, okay. And I did. And I just had the most 
I, it's like I had friends for the first time and I made the connection. It's like, oh, we're all in this show together. So if I do theater, I can have this, you know, that wonderful feeling of that family feeling mm-hmm. you get when you're in a show. And so I decided then that that's what I wanted to do. It's like, well, I knew I can sing, so I'm going to do musical theater. And, and then, of course, I had to somehow get over my <laughs> terrible <laughs> fear of singing in front of people. But it was really more for the social reasons that I started doing theater. Not because I'm going to be a star and I need to express myself through my art. It didn't That wasn't what got me into it. And, and you know, you mentioned me growing up in Chicago. My dad was a journalist, wonderful journalist, and he was actually transferred to New York for five years. So we lived in Long Island and uh, Huntington, Long Island and Riverdale for a total of five years. And during that time, um, my first Broadway show I went to see when I was, I think, 10 was Company. Nice. So that was my introduction to Sondheim and... uh, my parents saw it first, brought home the cast album. I was just obsessed with that cast album. And uh, and then when my first Broadway show was Merrily We Roll Along, it, it was just so incredible to have that be my first show because of how I felt about company. And it was Sondheim, Hal Prince, George Firth, Alvin Theater. So it was crazy. So all these people that you've grown up listening to or knew about, you're all you're with them all of a sudden. Like that's that's one of these pinch me moments. Oh, absolutely. Oh my goodness, that had to have been incredible. We're gonna take a short break. Stay tuned for more of the episode. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I was looking through your the IMDb credits and it's it's just voice voiceover after voiceover after voiceover. <laughs> and at some point, obviously you got a good agent or a manager or something that was like, oh, let's just put her up for every singing voice for all these animated films that are going on. And you know, there's like Jasmine and all the Aladdin sequels. And I my favorite credit is Dancing Napkin in Beauty and the Beast. Thank you very much. <laughs> and my big my big uh, my big solo line in Beauty and the Beast. Good day. That was it. <laughs> in fact, I just found, I have it over here in this, I just found my original sheet music to, for Beauty and the Beast, for the, for the chorus stuff I did. And I have it, and, and my part is highlighted. And like, uh, you can say good day. And I was one of the Gaston silly girls. So I have that. <laughs> I was like, I need to take a picture of that and put that on Instagram. <laughs> just just <laughs> Throwback Thursday, you know, I, I, I keep everything. I've kept all my music. Every time I've done a demo for something, um, I just found, I did the original demo of uh, uh, just around the river bend. 
Wow. And it was very different. And I just found, you know, I've been, one of my pandemic projects has been, I've been, you can see I have a TV behind me. I've got a VCR. I'm digitalizing um, videotapes of shows and DVDs and cassette tapes. Yes. And I have found some doozies that I've been slowly putting on my YouTube channel. And now I have all these audio uh thing audio uh demos that I I I need to do something with them and put on my YouTube channel because it's there it's so wonderful to have a record of these things and I was so fortunate during you know that time to do so many of those movies that's that is so incredible and I mean that's a whole album in and of itself right there you know, like putting together an album of all the demos you made for all these these songs that became. Well, it's interesting you should say that. I've I've been thinking it's like, hmm, I've you know some of them are are I've cut songs from Anastasia, and I've got um, other just just you know an early version of this song, and then also demos from young composers and yeah. stuff. And I thought I, I might I was actually thinking about maybe trying to do something with it. So we'll see. I'm like, well, I might, there'd probably be some rights issues. So I don't know if I'd be able to, but, uh, but there's some, it, it's, I, I look back and I go, wow. I, yeah, I did a lot of stuff. That's so much fun. I would love to hear those. Those That's incredible. So if you, if you do anything with those, let me know. <laughs> I'll let you know. <laughs> I will. But, uh, so you, you come to New York, of course, and your your how long is your sister with you? By the way, is she like does, is she trying to do the same track that you are in parallel? Uh, no, actually, when we moved to New York, Anne was a theater major for two years at the University of Illinois. She says she served two years at <laughs> <laughs> U of I. Um, so she actually originally she she did a lot of shows in high school, and she was a fantastic actress. And I think originally she thought she was going to do theater. But when she moved to New York, when we moved together, she actually started working in a piano bar because she could play. Mm -hmm. And and she started making a living doing that and concerts and cabaret and, and all these recordings. So she kind of didn't really pursue doing theater, whereas then suddenly that's what I did. Uh, and so when she had the opportunity to do swing on Broadway and plus get a Tony nomination, that was incredibly special for her because I think that was truly her original dream. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we found at one point, I think when she was doing swing and then suddenly I was doing concerts, I was like, oh my God, we sort of switched, you know, what we've been doing, which was, which was very interesting. Um, but I mean, we're both lucky and that we've been able to do so many different things in this business. Plus, she's a brilliant writer. Um, you know, the nanny, there's like this resurgence of the nanny because it's on um it's on HBO Plus now. Is that HBO right? Max. It's Disney Plus I mean, HBO Max. Oh, HBO Max, yeah. And so suddenly there's this whole thing of of the theme from the nanny, which Anne wrote the theme and she sang lead on, I sang back background vocals on it. So that's mm-hmm. like, that's kind of the <laughs> gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> I was going to say, you know, 
getting into residuals for a moment. I, was, I have a friend who's who was one of the trolls. Like, did I don't even think she had a solo line, but she still gets like what we call the mailbox money, right? From oh, yes. from Frozen because she was a troll in Frozen, and so you've got you've got this like decades now of this plethora of of highly watched and still watched animated movies so uh good for well, you i'll and, tell you that it's it i i'm very very fortunate for that and and of course the the biggest thing is always trying to get insurance you know trying <laughs> yeah. trying to um trying to make enough to get sag aftra insurance which is um i don't make it every year but uh, there are a lot of years i do and um Beauty and the Beast, that was my first animated movie. Um, there's, I remember we did, we got checks and we thought it was a wrong zero. And it was just, we had no idea there were going to be these kind of residuals. Um, but that, you know, the interesting thing for me about the animated movies that I've done, and especially Anastasia, I had no idea the effect that the, that they had on people until I started doing concerts, particularly concerts around the country. And I'd have people come up to me and be like, oh my God, Anastasia, that's like, that's the soundtrack of my childhood or the Swan Princess or people, if I do a master class and I sing a little something from it, people, they'll just burst into tears. And I had no idea because you, you, you do, you're in a studio you Anastasia it was like a two-year process. The movie opened, it closed. And so you don't have you don't know the effect, especially with social media now. Mm-hmm. And I've I've connected with a whole new audience, um, which is great because I my goal is I just want my music and the the things I've recorded and the things I hope to record in until I'm doing a show again. Um which is my first love, but I, I just want my my music to reach as many people as possible, you know. And so mm-hmm. the fact that people go, "Oh my God, you did Anastasia! I didn't know that." Oh, let me listen to "Leaving on a Jet Plane," or let me, you know what I mean. So that's that's sort of um, kind of the hope for my future of just my legacy, you know. It's just you hope to share as much music uh, as you can. I feel like it's part of a, a, an expression, right? It, it makes you who you are. And I love that you use the term legacy. I've never used that. I've never said that word in my entire life. <laughs> I don't know why, but it just kind of came to me. Well, it's true. It's true because everyone, of course, everyone wants to be remembered and they want to be remembered positively. At least, you know, I'm generalizing. But I, I in the back of my mind too, it's fun for me to think my, I have two small children and one day, Hopefully they'll go back and be able to listen to these podcast episodes and get a, get an, a, an experience or an, a snapshot of who I am at this time. And because exactly. I don't because I don't play I don't play music. I sight read poorly, but I can sing moderately well. Right. So I never you know the the cards weren't in it to continue to perform. And this is again sort of my way of of create creating and expressing and just being being real and putting something out there that not only p- 
people enjoy listening to you because I get emails and I get you know story posts on Instagram and whatnot too of people who who are talking about episodes. So I know that it's affecting people positively, and at least so far, no one's written negatively. So hopefully, I'm doing okay so far. <laughs> but, you know, there's the family side of it and the legacy side of it, and it's in. It's also allowed me to. I wonder if this is the same for you. Is that after I, I put out an episode, I get a text sometimes from a friend that I haven't heard from sometimes in years, and they'll say, "Oh, I just listened to your episode with blah blah blah, and the thing you said about whatever that was that was that really resonated with me. Like, how are you doing? What's going on?" And I rekindle these mm. relationships with people that I didn't even know were still paying attention. Oh, that's nice. And let me just say that you are very you're very thoughtful you're a very easy person to talk to oh. it just feels and i'm glad you know we're doing this in a way that we can we're looking at each other mm-hmm. um which is nice which helps but you uh, there's something about i don't know you you have a lovely way about you and it makes it, it almost makes you want to share more you know, and just the fact that, and your kids, the fact that your kids will be able to listen to what you've done. My dad, he was amazing television journalist, uh, John Calloway in Chicago, very well known. And I will come across uh, interviews that he's done uh, from years and years ago that I maybe saw when I was little, but, but just to have that, um, that's, uh, I also think for a lot of us, one of the things I've been trying to do during the pandemic is I will just make videos. I, I, I sing in my car and I, I have on my YouTube channel, I, I post songs of me just rehearsing and singing in my car or at home. And I, the response I've gotten from people, they're so just wanting to share music, just, just the, it, connecting with people because that's what we we all need to we all are we all need uh, what's the word i'm thinking of i think of spam a lot we're people who need people yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah no but we i think we're all craving connection you know and particularly during the pandemic and in general that's something that we're able to do you know as as what, what what you're doing what I try to do, whether it's live or from our homes, um, that's, I think, something that's nice. I can go and talk about all the horrors of social media and all the various negative, you know, aspects to all the, the, this, but, um, but it is something that it's going to live on no matter what it is we're doing, and that's nice. Mm-hmm. Our story will go on. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, what is it? In Jurassic Park, Jeff Goldblum, life uh, finds a way. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Jeffrey. <laughs> the, the, the original intent I had with bringing up um, your sister a, a while ago now was to see if there was, I was going to ask about any sort of sibling rivalry, rivalry, because if you were doing, trying to pursue the same thing at the same time, I feel like it would have been a little bit hard, especially in in the theater community where it's that much harder just to make yourself, uh, just to be successful. Like my brother, my brother, I have a younger brother, he's a doctor and I had never any in- inclination to ever go that route. So he gets successful and 
I'm like, awesome, dude, good job. And then I do what I do and I have imposter syndrome every step of the way, but, <laughs> but it tells me that I'm doing well. So, but we're never in competition with each other. And it's never, we're never trying to, to, to pull each other down or we're genuinely happy for each other. And I've seen actually some friendships, not, not just um, relationships sibling-wise, but friendships too that have kind of been a little bit strained when two close people, um, there are people that are two people that are close and one of them starts to see a bunch of success and the other one doesn't. Well, I think, well, certainly when we were growing up, we, we were not super close. Um, we were just, you know, we were just, I was like bratty little sister and Anne was like perfect at everything. And I was just floundering and I, she, she it was not easy for me having her be my big sister. And it wasn't until she left for college. And I remember, <laughs> I remember the night before she left for college and, and I was like, and, and I'm, this is not to say that we, we had some really fun times also growing up. It's not like we hated each other, but we just, you know, we were not super close. And then the night before she left for college, I just was like bratty and whatever. And then I burst into tears. I said, I'm gonna miss you. (laughs) It's like, and so she went off to college. I went to visit her and we just like got totally drunk And it's like, we just bonded that weekend, not because we got drunk, but we just, we were partying or whatever. And we realized that we had so much in common, you know? And I think most of it was on my end. I was just immature and, and just, I didn't know who I, I had no idea who I was. And, but we, we just started being so close. And then we moved to New York together. It was just, it was magical. It was magical. It was like, um, you know, wonderful town, so many adventures and misadventures. And we were each other's champions and we're best friends. But there are times, there have been times when one of us is doing something amazing and maybe the other person isn't doing something amazing. We, you might, I will have a pang, you know, you might have a pang. Um, I don't think you'd be human if you didn't. Um, but we've been so fortunate that we both have had really wonderful careers and continue, you know, we both are working really hard and, and, you know, hopefully we'll keep working for uh, a long time. But I, I just consider myself so incredibly lucky to have this relationship with her. And it's been one of the, the hardest things about the pandemic was not being able to be with her. That was really, really hard. Yeah. But, and I think for so many people. There's um, a, a segment of my audience demographics wise that skews younger. So for all of you listening now that are on the younger side, don't take your relationships with your siblings for granted. I know home life can be hard, especially when you're both living with parents, whatever the case is. But when you get older, exactly what you said, Liz, uh, about, you know, theater, you find that sense of family and whatnot. Um, I was actually talking with a friend of mine and relating this to this conversation I was having just two nights ago, I think. And we're, we're both 40 now. And um, he was saying, he was like, he just moved to a new city and he's like, it's so hard to meet people. I, I can't, 
you know, he's moved by himself and he said, it's so hard to meet people, you know, I'm working and then I come home and then I don't really know what to do. And, and, you know, I think back to that, those times in, in middle school, high school, college, college especially is when you're, you're really on your own for the first time, more or less uh, for most people. And then if you continue on to, especially in the theater industry, the, the act of no pun intended of putting together a show and bring, and standing something up, even you know the more the more trouble and and trauma you overcome together, the closer you all are, and you become <laughs> oh, you yes. family. You become that kind of family. So, what I'm saying is that you're right. Can, we need connection. I think that's part of why the arts are so important. But it's so easy to make friends in high school and college compared to, compared to when you get older, and sometimes you just got to work to live. Uh, here's a, here's a, a pandemic pandemic story. Uh, so my son Nicholas is um, I have, have one child, and he is in grad school at the moment, and he lives in Brooklyn. He's uh, and I when the pandemic happened, like the majority of of kids in college and, and, and beyond, they moved home mm. for a while. And so he was with us here for three, three months. Now, personally, I loved it. <laughs> I was so happy to have him. We had such, you know, he was, he was doing his classes, um, but, you know, virtually, but I was like, it was a treat to have him home. And uh, it was in May of last year. And he came home, came downstairs a Sunday morning, or probably it was probably like one in the afternoon, because of course, he has his own hours. And he said, you know, he was 29. He said, you know, it's really my dream. When I was 29 years old to be sleeping in my childhood bed. <laughs> <laughs> and he didn't say that. And he wasn't being cranky. He was kind of saying that with a sense of humor. And I said to him and my husband, we were all in the kitchen. I said, you know, Nicholas, someday you may look back on this and be so happy for this time we had. Six days later, my husband was in a terrible car accident. Oh, no. And he's okay. But he was in the hospital a week, um, broke his ankle and 12 ribs. And it was really, really scary. And he's fine now and, you know, thank God. But I look back at that and I go, oh my God, we had, you know, we, we, I will always treasure the three months that I've had with my son. And I think he would say the same thing. Um, all those moments, you just don't know. Um, you, you just don't know if, I don't know if to sound so morbid, but you just don't know. You don't know. We, we take so many things for granted. We, we took Broadway for granted. We took, oh, I'm going to sing. I'm going to see so-and-so. I'm going to go to a meal. I'll go have a meal. I'm going to, you know, and, and, you know, we really do. I've, we have to savor every moment as best we can. It's not always easy, but it's something to strive for. That's very, very practicing Buddhist, Buddhist practice, not Buddhist religious, but Buddhist by practice, I think, is, the, is just the being, being in the moment, being happy and being content. 
So it's hard. It's, 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 so it's, hard. it's not an easy thing to do. And, and some days, some days you feel that way. And on the other days, you know, it's, you know, life can have its challenges just, you know, when you're, Wi-Fi doesn't work. You know, just like you can get all the little irritating technical things that happen, you know, where you just become enraged because something freezes or you can't, I can't, oh, for me, it's uploading videos, you know, in, in the pandemic, we've had to become, you know, I've learned so much technology and I'm actually really trying to learn. I'm, I've been learning video editing. I've learned how to make lyric videos. I'm trying to learn how to do all kinds of stuff because I think knowledge is power. And I think it's just the greatest thing to keep, keep learning and challenging yourself. That's really important to me. 100%. I agree with that. And one of my biggest fears is just that I'll stop being able to learn. I, I, I want to always try new things, new, no new things. And there's so much, especially technologically, like five, you think five years ago, oh, no problem. But look at the amount of tech that's changed in five oh, yeah. years. Well, and wait till you're my age. <laughs> it's hard. You know what it is? It's harder. I know like all, so many products, like I'll ask my son something and he'll just kind of go, duh, 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 and he'll just figure it out without reading anything. Mm-hmm. He's just like, things are intuitive. And I think as you get older, you go, oh, God, I got to learn how to do this now. All right, this is something brand new to learn. Every time it's something, but you just have to sit down and learn it. But it's, it's, I think, and this is why for the people who are listening who are younger, I know how your parents drive you crazy mm-hmm. <laughs> when they ask you to help. Can you do this? Can you help me with this? Why doesn't this work? I know my, my mom used to drive me crazy with certain things um but you too someday (laughs) it's 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 uh it's 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 very hard and it's like we have to be very kind to each other and it's easier to teach people how to do things as long as they're as they're not your parents (laughs) i'm a, a friend my friend richard sat on the phone with me and talked me through this recording on garage band that i was trying to do and he was like, so calm and this, and I made a few notes. I was like, this is great. Got it. Easier than me, like watching YouTube tutorials and whatever. And he said to me, oh my God, if I was teaching my mom this, I would <laughs> nervous breakdown. But the fact that it's someone else. So, so if you're ever helping your parents, pretend they're not your parents. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually, that's actually pretty good. That's a good advice. And I'm going to remember that with mine too, because my parents all the time, Oh, they drive me insane with the tech questions. But yes. Yes, I, that's what and it's I, the I, same I, thing I, with my it's the same thing with uh, with my son Nichols. He's does he does things for me sometimes because it's he can just do it faster, but I want to learn to do them myself. But he may not be the best person to, <laughs> to teach me how to do it. <laughs> I think that's a product though of of being on stage and being having to learn scripts and blocking and singing and lyrics and all is uh, you know, your brain has has formed the pathways to to be able to take in new information. Because when I look at other people of similar age, it's it's like, no, I'm done. Like I stopped learning at 38 
And that was it. Like everything has to fit. Everything now has to fit into the boxes I've created for myself at that age. And oh, the pro- and I and and I don't think that's I I I urge anyone who feels that way um, to move past your discomfort, move past the pain um, of sucking at something, and know that. You know, it's like we, there's a book that just came out that I just got on my uh, Libby library app um, called (laughs) Beginners. And it's just, it's about someone who's at a later age taking up piano and taking up or singing and, you know, various things. And just talk about having, um, it's good to have the beginner's mindset that you're not going to be able to do something right away. But once you do it, I think it is, it is so, I made a, I was like in a crappy mood about a month ago, just kind of going like, oh, I just wasn't feeling inspired about anything. And, and I made a list of everything I've learned how to do since the pandemic started. And it's a long list. It's a lot of tech stuff. But, but I was like, wow, I've really, you know, that's what's going to keep me forever young is if I never stop learning stuff. And um, the RAM is a little full for some of the lyrics. The <laughs> 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 learning my lyrics takes me a little longer now. But, um, but no, that's something I just think is super important. And because, uh, yeah, otherwise we just stop. And what fun is that? Well, the, the, the brain anatomy... Not, I was going to say chemistry, but I don't think it's chemistry. And it, we're totally off the rails on, tan, on a tangent now, but I love it. I don't care. The, the, oh, yeah. We're not talking about Broadway. <laughs> the, theater, uh, the, the theater. The brain. Um, is, it fascinates me because I, 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 I think it was Anthony Venezioli I was talking to from Freestyle Love Supreme. And he grew up listening to hip hop, rap, R&B. So like this sort of improvising in this style is completely second nature to him because his brain is used to it. And for me, I grew up on, uh, my mom listened to, to cast albums and I did performing in cor- boys chorus and stuff. So I didn't get into the, the rap, the hip hop things until like much later in life. And so even to this day, as many, probably the hundred times, literally I've listened to the Hamilton soundtrack, I still don't have that memorized lyrically. I can sing you every note but I don't have the lyrics memorized because it's speaking, not singing. But if it, all this, all the sung, all the songs in Hamilton that are sung, no problem. Could spit those out. All the rap songs, uh, the spoken songs couldn't tell you. Like I have to associate that with blocking. Oh, that makes sense. I read, I read once, I think it was Bette Midler was doing a uh, one-person play on Broadway. Does that ring a bell? Was it about a press agent? I've never heard of her. Never heard of her. Oh, yeah, never. (laughs) She hasn't been on your show? Come on. Um, (laughs) But I, and I may be making this up, but I don't think I am, but I think when she was trying to figure out how to learn her lines, because it was so many lines, that they, someone suggested that she musicalize them. And she thought of it as songs, and that's how she learned all mm-hmm. her lines. You know, so that makes total sense to me to add to add the music to that the layer of that. Yeah. So, 
Um, but I can't believe you're beating yourself up for not knowing all the lyrics <laughs> to <laughs> Hamilton. There are, <laughs> if we do, you know, is there a, you know, how like how you can be working on a document and swipe and then you do the word count, yeah. you know, under yeah. tools. I wonder if there's a way to listen to something and do the same thing and find out how, you know, how many words in a song that would be actually kind of interesting. Seems like something Google should develop yeah. or Shazam or something. But yeah, uh, it's it's really, really cool for me when uh, I read about um, sometimes people who've had strokes and part of their brains have been damaged or they're swollen or whatnot. And um, and so they have they can't speak anymore, it's sometimes temporarily, sometimes permanently, but have no trouble playing a piano or no trouble singing. They can sing their responses to everything because wow. it's too different parts of your brain the speaking part and the singing part so you may be yeah yeah so you should be you could be able to sing your response and just make up a melody or recall even people with um with dementia that forget memories they can recall songs until the day they die oh i've i've seen that with um with family members who are quite elderly and and can't remember a lot of things, and yet they remember. They could just start singing the songs, and they, you know, th- that is another reason why music is so important on just so many levels. When we listen to something, we don't know. You don't know if, like, twenty years from now, you're going to suddenly hear a song from you know that'll remind you of your kids when you know they were little or son. You know, there's this, when we dropped our son off to college. Um, the, this, he went to Kenyon College in Ohio, and we were driving from New York to Ohio. And there is a song, um, Coldplay song. What's the famous? They're famous. Everyone is yelling into their <laughs> devices. This is a wonderful. I know what song you were you're hoping talking. to hear me sing, weren't you? Hear, hear me, whatever. But that song makes us think of that moment, and that's like, can and it makes us cry. It's just this, um, uh, just some something about music. And anyway, Broadway. <laughs> we're going to take a short break. Stay tuned for more of the episode. Music and smells are closely tied, uh, and I and it's this it's the extrasensory stuff. And I've I've had this theory, and this is a complete just guess on my part. And probably in another life, I'm an amazing neuroscientist or something, but. I've I've had this um, this theory that we have evolved in we've be, we we've evolved beyond th- trusting our instincts because you look at animals and th- there's instinct there's gut reaction there's fight or flight etc cetera, etc cetera, and it's very much like they they know they can feel what's safe and dogs can feel seizures coming on right so you have seizure dogs that are trained to tell their mm-hmm. owners when they're about to have seizure. So like something's happening chemically. Uh, it's pheromones. It's something, right? And you've had those moments where you walk into a room 
and a complete stranger. And you're like, I know you, we need to be best friends. And where does that come from? I, I personally think there's a scientific explanation for all of this. And I believe we've gone too far down the path of being so self-aware that we have forgotten how to trust our instincts and and be in the moment when it comes to pheromones, chemicals, uh, first impressions. But so what do you what do you mean we've the we've become so self-aware? What what do you mean by that? That like, would that would keep us from having those moments of instinctual, you know, if you well, not not prevent us from having them, but ha- prevent us from trusting them or listening to them, because mm. like um, someone who has been told by a partner or a parent or a friend or something that they're just not maybe they're not good at something or they're they they feel for whatever reason they're down on themselves and they think like well if I try this it's just not going to matter like I shouldn't even try but or, or even in relationships when you walk when you walk up to that person. In, or you feel that connection with somebody in a room, immediately some people will shut themselves down and walk away because their first response is, eh, I'm not good enough. They're not going to like me. I'm just, mm. just going to walk away. Whereas if they were just like, I feel something, it's coming from my chest instead of my brain, then we can, we can go and have this conversation with, with each other and get past all of the, the childhood baggage and the emotional overhead or intellectual overhead and trust the emotion, right? Trust, trust, oh, yeah. trust the gut, the gut reaction behind the emotion. I think that's, I think that's very true. I think that's harder when it comes to meeting someone. You know what I mean? Because we we do have fears. I I know just intuitively every every home I've ever worked, I've I've lived in, every apartment. I've had a moment where I've walked in and I'm going, yeah, this is it. Mm-hmm. This is the place. I just know. And I've had that with a lot of a lot of shows I've been cast in. I might know bef- when I hear about the audition before I audition. I just have like a weird sense of that. But you're absolutely right. I mean, something that I've discovered is we tell ourselves, we've told ourselves this is who we are. Um, oh, I don't do this. I'm not someone who, you know, this, this goes back to what we were talking about learning things and being afraid to fail and be bad at something for yeah. a while. Yeah. We, you know, we tell us, well, I don't, I personally, I've always told myself that I'm as a performer, I'm, I interpret material. I don't write material. Um, and I, Maybe it's because my sister wrote or, or maybe, I don't know, but I, I kind of told myself that that wasn't me. And then one day I kind of, I said, I'm going to sit down at the piano and like write five measures of a shitty song. Am I allowed to curse on here or do you have to bleep me? Um, (laughs) That was like, I was doing something called the five minute journal where you're like, what would make today great? I was like, mm-hmm. I'm going to write a, just a little bit of a terrible song. And I sat down at the piano. And I kind of, I don't, I'm a really good sight reader, but I don't really play the piano. And I just started, and all this music came out of me. And I was like, maybe I am, I think deep down, I, I, I am a songwriter. Um, 
I don't I don't have anything to show anyone, but I'm working on that for me. But I think, you know, you can spend your whole life saying there's so many things that we prevent ourselves from doing. And and to your point, you know, we're afraid. And so we don't necessarily follow the you know, if there's a signal, oh, this is someone who could be important in my life. Um, and that's, how that, you know, how that relates back to theater, I suspect, is the more you can be present and the more you can be in the moment and the more you trust your gut on stage and let let the script work itself. The script will come out of your mouth, but your body, who you are as a character, I think the the less we start thinking about it, like, you know, think about your characters, know where it comes from, all that classical training stuff, right? But when you're on stage in the moment, it's all about listening and listening. Mm. Being a good actor is being a good listener, right? So in that same moment, not only listen to what the person across from you or the people across from you are doing and react appropriately, but listen to yourself. Where do you want to move? What does your body want to do? There's a reason that like the lizard brain, right, is still active saying like, let me, hello, hello, knock, knock. <laughs> Uh, I, I want to go hug this person because they're emoting right now. Um, you know, I want to support them or whatever the case is. And, and I think that could tremendously help so many people because if you're just like thinking about every move, then you just kind of turn into a robot. Yeah, listening, listening is of course, for acting. My dad is an interview as an interviewer. He always said the most important thing when you're interviewing someone is to listen mm -hmm. and in relate in personal relationships the same thing to actually really listen to what the other person is saying and um and not just by with your ears but with everything you know that's and giving it's a gift to give your attention to someone your full attention um on stage and and I'm now I'm talking off stage yeah. since we're getting into all kinds of really interesting non Broadway <laughs> things. <laughs> I agree. There's so much distraction and and with everything on demand, everything in your pocket, all the compute power you're we're literally carrying around with us at any given moment. That you're you're right. It's it is. I never thought about it that way, but you're 100 percent right. It's a gift to give someone your full attention. And, and I wonder, I worry actually, now that you said that, what kids now, I, I guess what I was going to say was how kids now are going to be when they grow up, because they're not, they don't have the, the experience of possibly even sitting down at a dinner table with the whole family without someone being on their phone or, you know, ha like right now everything's virtual anyway. So who knows what's, who needs to connect where, but I, I, I heard the other day that, or not the other day, it was a while ago, that like young kids now, and even, I guess maybe even high school kids, are, are losing the ability to have a conversation. Or it's not comfortable to maintain eye contact because they, they need to look down at their phone or they need to text. They can only emote through texting or through emojis or you know whatever the case is, right? And that's part of why I, I prefer this platform. We're using Squadcast to record because we're not recording the video, but we can see each other. Yeah. And I can see, I'm looking in your eyes. I'm, I'm getting whatever oxytocin release is happening <laughs> in our brain by looking somebody in the eye. 
And my brain is telling me, we're bonding now, be closer, share more, whatever the case is. And like, it's night and day when, when you interact with people on your phone or on the internet or whatever the case is. And I'm, I sound a little soapboxy now, but like, really, I, I, like I said, I'm 40. So I grew up analog and uh, became digital in college because that was just how the tech was. So I had a modem until I went to college, then got broadband and that's, you know, haven't looked back, but... You're lucky that you've experienced both. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm mm-hmm. saying. Yeah. But I, 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 yeah, I, but I agree with you, but I think at some point, I hope everyone will have an opportunity it, it it may just be too much after a while and people will start to unplug. And I think the, and we'll start to, you know, one, once I, I just would imagine that it, in the same way that vinyl has come back mm. in the same way now that let's just talk for a moment about how albums coming out now are, are coming out also in with cassettes. <laughs> Which I think is fascinating to me. The new Cind- Andrew Lloyd Webber. See, I'm going to get Andrew Lloyd Webber back in here. <laughs> Cinderella. Cinderella. I looked in the, at the, you know, they're doing the album, they're doing vinyl, and they're doing cassette. And Taylor Swift is like cassette. So things are coming. I think there is something that may come back that there is uh, this generation at some point may kind of, for whatever reason, it may become trendy to to shut off our devices. It may. I'm hoping that that mm-hmm. the people give that a try and get comfortable with silence, which is hard, and to turn off the friggin' notifications so that we're not. I mean, uh, someone was. I was reading about social media and how it's designed like slot machines. You yeah. know, it's like to get. Oh, does someone like, oh, how, how many people like my post? Oh, I'm going to, you know, and there's something about that, that it's, it's in a way, it's not our fault. It's, it's the, by design to hook us into, you know, um, but then what I think we all crave are moments of silence and, and going off the grid and being with another person. You know, when I, cell phones I forget how old my son was when we started using cell phones but when I would go he was past the age of when he was like I take him to a park now there's a park near my house I look and I see all the parents all of them are on their phones Mm -hmm. well this is pre-pandemic really but all of them are on their phones while their children play Mm -hmm. and it's just sort of what for me it's like if I go to a store and there's a line I go and I check my phone. It's like I almost don't know how to be still. It's like a compulsion. Just it's, it's, to like it's a serotonin yeah. release. Uh, yeah. And that's a real emails everything. It's all serotonin release. Yeah. And that's like it's a huge challenge for all of us. Um and yeah, that's it's a big, big challenge for for everyone. You know, this is gonna be TMI, but the other day. I went to go do number two <laughs> and, and, I, and I left my phone in my office and I was, I had just, you know, I was going and I was like, 
all of a sudden I had that moment. I was like, oh, oh shit. No pun intended. My phone. No, no, no. I'm going to sit here and remember what it was like (laughs) to poop without a cell phone. And it took me a second. And then, and then I was like, ah, okay. And and it's just, it's. And how did it go? I hope it went well for you. (laughs) It was nice. Everything came out fine. It was great. Oh, that's good. Uh, Now, uh, that is not something that I I can tell you. I've something I've experienced a, an activity that I <laughs> would do during something like that. But it is just if the if the idea is it's just we do so many things without thinking about it. It's just like automatic and mm-hmm. um, and it's just it's I think it's a big challenge. For all of us, which is another reason why it'll be so nice to, when theater comes back, to be able to go and turn off your cell phone and just be in the theater have, and share a collective experience with other people, yeah. whether it's in, in a, a play or in a concert, but just to turn everything else off and experience this moment. Um, that's what I think we've all been missing for mm-hmm. the last 14, 15 months because so much of what we're doing, it just, it involves a screen, yeah. you know? Yeah. And we're lucky to have that. But, you know, tomorrow night, the idea of actually going to a, a baseball game. Oh my God. Just, a, you know, and it's gonna, not going to be a lot of people there. It's going to be, you know, 8,000 instead of 40,000 um, capacity. Mm-hmm but just collectively to be with people who are sharing the same experience is going to be awesome. It's put, yeah, it's pushing your, your energy, right? If you believe in all the chakra stuff or the solar plexus, whatever it is, like all your energy is flowing out into the, into the center and, and the athletes feel it and you feel it with, you know, the cheers and the, the roar of the crowd, or maybe the, like the tiny meow of the crowd. Cause there's 8,000 instead of 40, but you know, the whole, the whole experience, you're right, of going on a journey with people, strangers or not, is it's who we are as a species. We're herd animals and we need other people to feel complete. We need to feel, for the most part, right, we have to be around others and have human contact to, to feel like, to feel normal because that's, our brain just needs that. It needs the chemical release. It needs the touch. It needs all of this. And, and unfortunately... Well, fortunately, technology is great, but unfortunately, like you said, it's substituted for a lot of in-person stuff, a lot of in-person yeah. interaction. So we need to we need to get away from that. Bring back the arts. Bring back theater. Uh, bring back the Broadway. <laughs> Broadway. <laughs> so let's wrap up this wonderful episode with three standard closing questions. I ask everybody. The first one, just very simply, is what motivates you? God, see, I. My heart started pounding as soon as I like, oh my God, three questions. What motivates me? What motivates me? My son, my son, Nicholas motivates me because he's always, he's always teaching himself new things. He taught himself when he was in college, he had never done any, he hadn't done choral singing. He, he joined an acapella group and taught himself how to do 
amazing acapella arrangements. Wow. And then he's taught himself, he's getting his MBA right now. He's at NYU Stern. And he's taught himself so many things. He's such a, a, a learner and loves to learn from other people. And when he graduated from college, he, I remember thinking, wow, his life now is just beginning. And I thought, well, why can't my life, who says I have to stop? Who says I can't do new things? And um, just because you reach a certain age, it's like, I, I, I feel like there's so many things I've yet to do and that I can do. I've produced three albums since that time. And I've suddenly I've discovered this whole entrepreneurial side of me and all these different things in me. And, and so my son really is, is he really inspires me. And, and, uh, does that answer is, was that? Oh yeah. Amazing (laughs) answer. So the second question is what advice would you give to your younger self and younger people listening now, starting out down a similar path? If a couple things, if, If something scares you, do it. It means you should do it. Mm. I'm not talking about, you know, walking along a cliff. I'm just talking about the things that, that we are afraid we're not good enough to do. And so we don't do it at all. So I would say that. And I would also say, don't wait for someone else to, don't wait for someone else to give you breaks go out there and try to create, create your own thing. I love that. Last question. This is the hardest one. All right. If you could only see one show for the rest of your life, but you can see it as many times as you want, what would you see? Oh man. Oh God. That's really hard. I don't know. That's like really, uh, that it is a hard question. How dare you? Well, tell me what, what did Jeremy Jordan say? Rent. Fine. See, I'm trying to stall. What <laughs> have other people said? Um, oh, everything. People have said everything. The most common answer given is Sweeney Todd. Oh, I love Sweeney Todd, but I don't think I'd want to see it over and over. You could also, I'm going to make it even harder. You could also pick a TV or movie too. It doesn't have to be a Broadway show, but interpret it as you will. Oh, um, <laughs> I think someone said West Wing once. Well, actually, that's it's that's an easier thing. That's an easier thing because I, I off the top. Oh no no no! What am I thinking? Duh! Sunday in the Park with George. Yes. Good there. One. Good one. I was gonna say, I was gonna say like Tootsie. <laughs> <laughs> or best in show or the sound of music or something. No, so, uh, no, Sunday in the park with George. I would, I would, uh, I'd want to see that. Amazing. So of course you are online on Instagram and Twitter at Liz goes on on both platforms. Your website is Liz Everyone go to the townhall.org and get your tickets for Broadway by the year. Liz's performance is on May 24th or also performances before on April 26th and May 10th. And, can and I do a self plug while you're doing while you're plugging me? Am I allowed to plug myself? Please, please. I would just love it if you're bored to or not bored 
to go over to my YouTube channel. I, that's been one of my big pandemic projects and I, you're going to find videos from, you know, me singing the story goes on from the Merv Griffin show in 1984, a song with songs with my sister and my mom, my song with my son, um, my car videos, just, I'm just trying to put cool stuff out there and I'd love you to just stop by and say hi if you like it. I love that. All right. We're going to put that at the uh, at the beginning of the episode, too. I'll make sure to plug it in, oh, the, thanks. in, in the intro before we get into it. You can get more of me at the theaterpodcast.com. I'm on Instagram and Twitter at theater underscore podcast. Leave a rating, leave a review. Please subscribe or like however you are listening now. This has been edited by Well-Rounded Hoodlum Productions. And thank you to Jukebox the Ghost for the intro and the outro music you are hearing right now. Liz, Thank you. We went so many places in this conversation. <laughs> oh my God, it was so much fun. You are just a delight to talk to. And um, yeah, and you've given me a lot to think about. This was a really, really great conversation. So thank you. You're very welcome. Go Yankees. Go Mets. <laughs> Yankees. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.